Um, we started last week, we started a, a new series, and we're calling How to Wreck Your Life, Simple Ways to Wreck Your Life. Not just how to wreck it, but you know, simple ways to do it. It's really, really simple to make a, a decision that came really, really easy, but ended up with consequences that were really, really tough. Here's some examples just of some really easy things, um, really, really easy ways to, uh, to make some bad decisions, all right? Um, one of them, just charge it. That can get you into trouble really quick. Just try it once, just this once. Uh, just send that email. Just follow your heart. Just be one of the guys. Just tell that little white lie. You know, just ignore the warning signs. Just take your eyes off the road for a second. Or just say whatever comes to mind when you're mad. Aren't those easy? Don't they come easy? But the consequences to any one of those can be big. Really big. And, and not the kind of consequences that you want to live with. Well, so what we've been doing, um, last week we introduced the, the series. And if you didn't listen, we, we got it online if you want to take a, take a listen to it. What we're going to do now for this week and then the next four after it is to take um, five different ways that, that are really, really easy to, to wreck your life, or at least to fill it with all kinds of regret. So that's what we're going to be doing. Now, one that didn't make the cut, um, but is related to what we're going to talk about today, so that we're, we're not going to really talk about this, but it's related, is to have really bad boundaries. That's a great way to, to wreck your life. Just have really bad boundaries. Um, the one that relates in the opposite you know, to what we're going to talk about today is just share all your deepest, darkest secret sins with anybody. That's a great way to wreck your life. Just, just be a completely open book all the time with anybody. Just post your darkest stuff online for the world to see. That's a simple way to, uh, to wreck your life. Um, but the opposite of that is unhealthy too. And that's the one we're going to focus in on today. Today we're going to talk about secret sins. And it was interesting, um, in, in the, the last uh, hour, when, when as soon as I started getting into what we're going to get into now, Boy, the room got uncomfortable. So if you are going to start to feel uncomfortable pretty soon, recognize that you are with the rest of us. This is not easy what we're going to look at, but we got to look at it for the fact that it's secret because no one's talking about it, right? Um, or at least sometimes we're not talking about it in a healthy way. But one of the ways, if you want to live a miserable life, you know, just sin in secret, or at least attempt to sin in secret. There's a place, if you're a note-taker, to write this down um, in your notes, and and. You know, I'm, I'm a tactile person anyway. I'm visual. Uh, some of you might find it's helpful to write some of these things down. Um, if, if, like this, if you want to wreck your life, attempt to sin in secret. And that word attempt is there on purpose. You'll see that as we, as we go along. But if you want to try to wreck your life, just attempt to sin in secret. If you want to be miserable, just try to maintain a hidden, hidden life that nobody else sees. Just try to be that woman. Try to be that woman who tries to protect an image of yourself or your family that is not true. Just try to protect that. And don't let anyone in on the fact that your life isn't really like that. Or if you're a guy, this applies to so many men um, in, in our society. Be that guy who looks at porn when he thinks no one's looking at him. Be that guy. You want to live a miserable life? Do that. Do that. Or, if you're a man or a woman, just be that person who tries to act one way around some people and then act a different way around different people and hope that they'll never compare notes. You want to be miserable? Just do that. Be a different person in different groups. Or just try to be that person who tries to hide an addiction 
to spending or gambling or eating or alcohol or whatever it is. Just try to hide it from everybody. Just try to keep it hidden. You want to be miserable? Just do that. Try to maintain a hidden, secret life that you don't let anyone see. Well, what we're going to do today is I want to, I want to offer a biblical alternative to that. Because that is a miserable, miserable existence to have that secret life. Um, and you'll, as we'll get into later, it's, it's not going to stay secret too. Um, I'm going to tell you in the front end what we're going to talk about today. It is not going to be easy. This alternative, it's not easy. It's not. It's going to take a lot of humility. It's going to take a lot of courage. It's going to take a lot of faith. And to do it well in a way that's really going to make a life-changing difference, it's going to take investment in relationships with other people that you trust. So... It's, it's, it's a hard one. So let's jump right in. Let's, let's get in here. And the reason we're going to take it on, though, is, is you don't want to stay on that path. If you're trying to keep it hidden, you don't want to stay on that path because where it takes you is a place you don't want to be. It might seem like right now it's better than the alternative, but you stay on that path, it takes you to a worse place. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, let's open up together. 1 John um, chapter 1 we're going to start with verse 5. Let me say a couple things as we're turning there. If you don't have a Bible at home, I would love to send you home with one free today, and we can do that. We have a stack of them right there at the welcome table. It was great. Joel uh, sent me a, I think an email or whatever this week, and he said, Hey, we need more Bibles. Bring more Bibles to, the, to, to church. I'm like, we'd love to do that. So thank you for taking them, those of you who are taking us up on our offer. We love the fact that you're, you're taking those. So don't feel guilty. You know, it's not a secret sin. It's, we're telling you. Take, take them. All right. Um, so, First John uh, chapter 1, uh, starting with verse 5. All right? Uh, here we go. This is the message that we heard from him and proclaimed to you. God is what? Light. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, we're going to continue on for it, with this in just a minute, but I want to pause and, and, and say a couple things about this. All right, first, for those of you who are not familiar with the Scripture, the person who is the human author being inspired by the Holy Spirit here is a person named John. He was a real historical figure. He was one, if you've maybe heard about the disciples, the original disciples, he was one of those. And Jesus had this inner circle of these 12 disciples, and then within that inner circle, he had an even a closer inner inner circle. John was one of those guys. So he's the same one that wrote, there's what's called the Gospel of John. He wrote that. He wrote this, first, second, first John. He also wrote Second John, Third John. And he also is the human author that's, uh, that's attributed to the book of Revelation. So this is, this is who is writing this. So here is a person who, he, he has heard this from the Master, and now he's proclaiming this to us. He's proclaiming this to us. And included in the proclamation that we just read is the reality that God is light, and in him there is no what? Darkness. So he is light, in him there is no darkness it says at all now this imagery that this light and darkness it is not original to john if you read through the scriptures particularly in the old testament you're going to see this imagery of light being attributed to god and in part what that means is that god has completely right understanding to be in the light means he has right understanding he gets it he sees it as it is and there's right actions righteous actions i guess i could say so Light is this metaphor that goes throughout the scripture, not just here in John, but in other places. It means right understanding. It means righteous action. So God, he has perfect 
understanding. He is perfectly righteous in what he does. Now, here's another thing about God's light. God's light enables him to shine into the dark places. So because God is perfect light, there is no darkness that can overcome his light. He can see into all situations. He can see all things. Um, here's, a, here's a passage from Psalm 139 that speaks to this. You've got to love Psalm 139. If you haven't read Psalm 139, read Psalm 139. Great, great Psalm. As opposed to the others that, okay. All right, um, all right, even, no, I didn't mean that. All right, uh, e- even the darkness, look at this. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So this whole idea, you don't have to write this down now, but later we're going to have to write, down, write this down, that hidden sin's an illusion. There is no secret that you can keep from God. He can look into the dark areas. He has looked into the dark areas. He, in fact, has so much light that he knows about darkness that you are not even consciously aware of that you have. He can see all things. So he can see into the darkness. So this idea of secret sin, it's an illusion to begin with. It is an oxymoron, all right? Now, there is a, um, another thing that, uh, that I want to point out about this sec- the section that we were reading in 1 John. Let's, um, let's focus it in. Let's laser in on uh, 1 John 1, 7. Now, we aren't going to have time to be able to go into this fully, but every once in a while we're going to come across passages like this that speak such an important theological understanding that we can't just ignore it. All right? So we can't fully go here, but I've got to throw this out here in particular because there's so much teaching that contradicts this, and, and this is a natural slippery slope that we fall into. All right? Let's zero in. First John 1 John 1.7 says this, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, with one another and the what? The blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. What cleanses us from all sin? The blood of Jesus. Okay, here's where we can get off track really fast. Does a decision for Christ cleanse us from sin? No. What cleanses us from sin? The blood of Jesus. Do our righteous actions, our God-honoring actions, do they cleanse us from sin? No. What cleanses us from sin? The blood of Jesus. Remember that. File that away because that is a... It is so easy to fall off of that, that, that razor's edge. It is the blood of Jesus. It is not our actions. It is not our baptism. It is not. These things, at best, are signs of those who have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. They don't, in and of themselves, those actions, in and of themselves, by their own merit before God, doesn't cleanse us from our sin. All right? Um, okay, so, but let's get back to our specific topic at hand, this idea of sitting in secret. Now let's continue to read some of the, the passage. You talk about a hope-filled passage. For me personally, what we're about to look at right here gives me more hope than possibly any other passage in the Scriptures. All right? 1 John chapter 1, continuing on where we left off with verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, because of what happened with the blood of Jesus, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Does anyone else see hope in that passage? I see hope because so often inside, it feels like the opposite is true. That if we have very little to confess before God, then, oh, then I must be, I must be okay. If I can't think of anything to confess, great, I've arrived. 
you know? And sometimes we think about that. When conviction comes on us and we, are, we recognize, oh, that's dark. That's dark. That thought was dark. That action was dark. This is dark. When that conviction comes on us, sometimes there's this tempting to pull back and go, wow. Wow. And instead, when that conviction comes, if it's followed by sincere repentance, that is actually a sign of God's activity in you. That's a sign that the Holy Spirit is present in you. That is actually a sign that you're in Christ. Isn't that good news? Instead of your perfect or so-called perfect life being what you would have to point to to say, oh, I got it all together. In fact, I encourage you to write this down. Um, This is hope-filled stuff right here. Confession provides a degree of assurance that your faith is sincere. Now, it's a degree. Just because you mouth, I'm sorry, doesn't, you know, doesn't, it's not some magic potion or magic word or, or form or something like that. But if, it's, if there's sincere conviction, if there's sincere confession, that provides a degree of assurance that your faith is sincere and that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. When God's perfect light shines into our lives, darkness is going to be revealed. Those whom God calls as his own are convicted of the sin in their lives, and they confess it to God. In fact, here's some more hope in that passage. Let's now um, zero in on verse 8. Look at this. John says this, if we say we have no sin. So, John's including himself in this. John, who the Holy Spirit inspired to write five books of the Bible. That same John says, if we say we have no sin. So here, you talk about a holy activity, writing out draft of the Bible. He says, he includes himself as a sinner, and God is able to use him in that way. You think about Paul. There's a, there's a guy named Paul. If ever someone besides Jesus lived a life of complete devotion to God, talk about Paul, right? What does he say? I am the chief of sinners. So for you to look at your life and go, "Woo, I did it. I have conquered sin. I can't think of anything to confess. I'm good to go. You know, if that's you, we've got a don't we? we? I'm glad you see it. Because some people don't. They, and, and subconsciously, what we have to fight, we have to fight that sometimes. Of, okay, now I'm good. Okay, now I'm heaven, here I come. Because, I mean, look at this example that, that Jesus gives. He tells this parable. These are the words of the master of whom um, John submitted to and of whom he spoke. Look at this parable that, that Jesus tells. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. i got to hit pause there right now. You guys were doing a good job of this, but we can do a better job of this. In Christendom, and I'd probably have to put that in quotes, I guess, but in Christendom, it is so easy for us to pick a couple behaviors and then for us to stand in judgment over those who are engaging in those behaviors and somehow saying, I'm better than them because I don't do this, because I haven't done that. In fact, um, I just had a conversation with somebody about in the hall, in, you know, in our lobby there, there was this conversation that made him so uncomfortable because this person is, you know, those, and then they described those people and, and then they went off, you know, on their thing. Look at what Jesus says about that, all right? As soon as we start to put ourselves in a different category, we're in the good category, they're in the bad category. Now, again, 
Call sin, sin. Great, especially among believers. Call sin, sin. But when you start elevating yourself, that is a dangerous place to be. Because look what Jesus says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And it's interesting imagery. Going up, they literally had to go up to the temple because of where it stood. So they go up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one other tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that guy. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. All right, hold, freeze, freeze on this for a second. Let's, uh, let's talk about this. In, if this was a melodrama and you were the first century audience, when it was Pharisee, you'd say, yay! When it was tax collector, you'd say, boo! Okay? So that's, that's, this is shocking stuff to these guys because the Pharisee goes, and the Pharisee, talk about a great prayer, right? The Pharisee says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these people. Thank you that I'm living this life that, I, that honors you. That's what Pharisee does. Well, it's interesting, he's standing. Well, I guess at least one of my resources said that was a typical posture prayer, so nothing wrong there. But he's standing alone. And I, and I don't want to make too much of that, and I don't think the Bible's necessarily making that point here, but that, that jumped out to me. Because when you start pointing fingers at everybody else, you're going to find yourself standing alone. You're going to start to find yourself standing alone because others are going to be like, who's this person? And you're going to find yourself standing alone because as sin is revealed in your own life, and now you put up this front of I'm a righteous person, now you want to keep that hidden, you're going to be isolating yourself. Just file that for what it's worth. But the bigger point that I want to make is, look at this Pharisee. He just, it's I, 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 I. God, I thank you that I am not like these other men. You know, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of what I get. Does fasting cleanse you from your sin? No. What cleanses you from your sin? Does tithing cleanse you from your sin? No. What cleanses you from your sin? Blood of Jesus. All right. Theologians. Luther would be proud of you getting this. As with the Reformed tradition, they'd, they'd be proud of you. All right. Um, so I fast twice a week. So he's, he's, it's I, 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 and he's putting himself in this different category of I am righteous and, you know, and, and they're not. I am righteous and, and, and they're not. So he's got, he's got this whole thing going on. Now, this man is living a lie because who has sinned? All of us. And if this man even paused for a moment and instead of just proclaiming all the great things he'd done, if he just paused for a moment and, and asked God so light to shine into his darkness. Pride might come up real quick. But even beyond that, Jesus cut to the chase with people. He cut to the chase with folks. And to those who had never physically committed the act of adultery, he said, have you ever lusted intently after a woman? You've committed adultery with her in your heart, and he shines into that darkness. And, and to those who never have physically committed murder. As God's light shines into their darkness, it's, it reveals, have you hated another person? Have you harbored hate? If so, that's dark. And, and to the person who isn't overtly oppressing the poor, in, in John, um, if you continue to read in 1 John, you come across this. As the light of God reveals darkness in us, it says this, it reveals that those who have material goods and don't respond to the practical needs of our brothers and sisters in Christ, these are John's words now, not mine, they need to question whether God's love abides in them. Is there darkness in all of us? Absolutely. We may not be doing the overt, obvious thing, but we got our stuff. We 
all have our darkness. And this guy, instead of allowing, having a reflective life where he's looking and allowing God to examine him, instead, he just takes what he thinks is some kind of high road or something. All right, now in contrast to this guy, this Pharisee, Jesus describes the other person who went up to pray. Let's take a look at him. This is how it continues. But the tax collector, standing far off, he could not even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And now look at this twist. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house, what? Justified. Rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I can't even, I can't even begin to express what a monster twist that was. Because think about it. The Pharisee, the Pharisee, he's the one who is following more of the commandments. He's the guy, he's leaving a couple big ones out, that whole one about loving your neighbors yourself. Um, you know, that whole thing. But, but he's, he's like, he's, if you were to have a checklist, who's following more of the religious stuff? By far, Pharisee. But who goes home justified? The tax collector. The person who did what we're going to be looking at today as the prescription to sinning in secret, and that is confession. Confession opened the door to a lot of good stuff in his life. All right, so let's continue to press deeper. Let's, let's, if you haven't already, please write this down. Hidden sin is an illusion. We've got to get that in our minds and in our hearts. If the Bible is true, and I believe it is, we have all sinned, and God knows what all of them are. You know? Just as there's no such thing as a sinless person, neither is there such a thing as a secret sin before God. Here's an example of, of how the Bible speaks to that. Psalm 90, verse 8 says this. You have set our iniquities before you. Our what? Our secret sins in the light of your presence. Here's a, another passage. This is an interesting one. It says this. Psalm 19, starting with verse 12. Declare me from hidden faults. Declare me innocent, it says. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. God's light is so bright, he can even see the things you can't see. I remember as a teenager when I first um, became purposeful about pursuing a relationship with God, I remember like, oh man, okay, I sinned here, I sinned here, and I tried to get my, it was like my email, you know, your email just keeps filling up, filling up as fast as you, like, delete, delete, okay, confess, 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 woo, I'm clean, oh, there's another, confess, confess, you know, you will never keep up with the list, and you'll miss some, and God can declare us clean even from hidden faults, isn't that good news? Keep back your servants also from the presumptuous sins. Those are just the blatant you know, transgressions in our life. Let them not have dominion over me. What a great prayer. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I should be blameless and innocent of a great transgression. Um, God will not, because God, God will not allow us to maintain this illusion of hidden sin. He won't allow that to happen. Because he cares for us too much. He can't just sit by and do nothing. For those of us trying to hide stuff, he can't just sit back and do nothing. And here's why. Look at what sin does. Again, we're taking on some huge topics without really going into the depth that, that we could, but it's important for us to at least try as best we can to, to get this, drive this home. 
Sin is, among other things, sin isolates and alienates us. Sin is, is something where it breaks down the relationship. Sin is a lot of things, but that's, that's, that's one of the, the, the central things. It breaks down the relationship with God. It breaks down relationships with others. So God knows this. He knows that the devastatingly isolating and alienating power of sin isn't alleviated through secrecy. Because sin breaks down the relationship, if you keep it secret, the relationship is still broken. It's only when the sins come out that now there can be some kind of healing, some kind of restoration, when those things can start to happen. When sin remains secret, if you're a believer, oh, it's a burden. It is a burden. And some of you need to hear this good news. I'm going to read this word for word out of Psalm 32. Some of you need to hear this invitation from God of what your life could be like. It could be like this. Those of you right now who are going, oh boy, I can't, I can't, I, I can't let this be brought into light. Listen, listen to this life that you could have. Listen to this. Psalm 32, starting with verse 1. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt. When does your sin disappear? It's not a secret. Your sin disappears when it can be brought into light. All right? What a joy. Whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, Confess my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. My guilt is gone. That probably sounds like a drink of cold water in a desert for some of you. To get to that place, you're, oh, the guilt is gone. The burden is lifted. There might be some steps now that you need to take to reconcile with one another, to get healing, those types of things. But oh, to know that what once separated you and God, it's gone. It's gone. Oh, isn't that good news? That's good news. Well, there may be some of you in the room who are like the Pharisee. You know, they're completely oblivious. You're going, I, I still can't think of any sense. Maybe, but I, I suppose it's possible but if I were a betting man, I'd go all in on the fact that you know what some of them are. You know, that everyone in this room has some. If that's you, here's a first step. You can write this down. Confession. It's not just a first step. It is a necessary step towards reconciliation and restoration. If you want to wreck your life, you want to, you know, you just keep your sin a secret. But if you want that burden lifted, if you want to go home justified before God, if you want to now get to a place where you can start to do something about this thing, it starts there. It starts there. And it starts with humility because it, to, to confess, you need to come before God and, and not just, well, you know, I've got this thing. And I've fallen a little short. Blah, blah, blah. It's rebellion against God. And so to get to the place, that's humbling because you have to admit there is a God. And you've rebelled against him. So to get to that place, it's calling sin what it is, it's rebelling against God, asking for God's forgiveness. What a great first step. And 
it wouldn't surprise me if God doesn't then direct you to some others, steps beyond that. Because if your sin is against another person, now there's reconciliation that, that can happen there too. You know, that God's going to lead you to and hopefully you know, provide help to. So there's going to be that. And then there's going to just going to be the ongoing help to get out of the sin mess that you're in, you know, to get some help. And that's why I think it's so important to have a couple close brothers and sisters in Christ who you can be transparent with, that you can, you can share anything with, to have just a couple people that you can go, as you confess before God, that you can just let in on the fact, oh, here's, here's what I'm wrestling with. I think that is so helpful. Now, what's interesting, I'm, uh, for the last, what, 20-some years, I'm, I've been involved in churches, and, and I can't tell you how many hundreds of times I've heard people talk about accountability partners, you know, confessing one another, your sins, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, all right, before I started digging into the scriptures today, I thought it's going to be a two-part deal. We're going to spend half the time talking about confessing with God, half the time looking at all those verses that talk about confessing your sins to one another. So I tried looking up all those verses that talk about con con confessing your sins to one another. You know how many I found? One. In James, it's the context is healing. And that's really interesting to me. Um, first and foremost, you can find lots and lots and lots of verses that talk about confessing your sins to God. You can find lots of those directly to God. You can also find several um, examples of public confession where people confess their sins in a public setting. You can find several of those. You can find several examples of corporate confession where groups confessed before God things. You can find several places in the scriptures that, that talk about if you've wronged someone, asking forgiveness. You can find lots of those. But in terms of kind of the classic accountability partner, you know, get together with a small group and, and you know, you confess your sins, one another. I found one example of that. But here's what I want to say. Even though I found one example of that, that's an important example. And I want to speak from experience how powerful that can be. So hear me clearly. I'm not minimizing it. Let me maximize that. I remember the first time I did that. Um, I was in high school. I was a new believer in the sense of it was mine now. I owned it. I was pursuing God on my own. And so I, I got pretty radical, and my youth pastor recognized that, and he asked me to speak as a teenager. He asked me to speak as a high schooler on the high school retreat um, about music, I think it was. And so I'm like, okay, I'll do this. And so I got together with a couple of my buddies, I said, Gully and Pete. And I got together with Gully and Pete, and I said, all right, guys, hey, can you help me with this? And as, I, as we started to talk about this message, all of a sudden, this conviction comes over me about some stuff I was doing. And I'm, I'm like trying to shake it. I'm like, okay, God, that's you and I. We'll talk about that later, you know. And it kept weighing on me and weighing on me until finally I had to say, guys, I got to tell you some stuff. Oh, and I remember the lump in my throat. You know, as I looked at two of my best buddies, I'm like, I got to tell you stuff that nobody knows. And I don't want to tell you. And I remember what happened as I shared. And then first one and then the other looked me in the eye and said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with that too. And here this thing that I thought is going to isolate me even further. Here's this thing that I was so fearful was going to you know, make me the black sheep of the whatever. All of a sudden this thing that was going to, I thought, put distance between us, it ended up bringing us together. And all of a sudden, not only was this burden lifted between God and I, now this burden is lifted of, oh, it's not just me. 
oh. And whether you find people that are dealing with the exact same stuff as you, there is something so powerful about having other brothers and sisters in Christ who are safe where you can realize they got stuff, I got stuff. All God's children got stuff. And that you aren't alone. And not only that, if they're safe, healthy people, what they can do is they can come alongside you. And then they can say, all right, it's not just, all right, did you mess up again this week? No, it's, it's let me come along. Let's support one another, encourage one another. You know what? If you feel like you're, you're tempted to do your thing or think those thoughts, give me a call. Let's talk. Let's go do stuff. You have now God working through these others as his hands and his feet and his heart and his ears. And they're coming alongside you to be able to support you and encourage you along the way. Oh, how great is that? Instead of something that was shame and isolation, something that brings healing and restoration, there's great value in that. And before we close, I want to show you, I want to show you, I want to tell you one more thing and then show you a couple verses. Please write this down. If you're still saying, okay, great, but I'm not ready to do that. You're never going to be ready to do that, all right? It is far better to choose the moment of truth than to have it thrust upon you. Did you hear that? Guy looking at porn. Did you hear that? It is far better. Interesting, every guy looked away from me at that point. <laughs> Pastor Cam, love Pastor Cam. All right. Um, it is far, never posted online, but... All right, um, it is far better to choose the moment of truth than have a trust upon you. Oh, I've heard horror stories. The reason I bring up the porn example is because I've heard horror stories of a wife finding out or a daughter finding out or a son finding out before the confession is made. It's going to be hard enough, you know, when the confession time comes. You don't want to have it thrust upon you. And here, the Bible has a number of passages like this. Take a look at this. Nothing is hidden that won't be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Light, Luke 8, uh, 17. Now, I know there's multiple levels to that. There's a future reality level to that. But there's enough of these examples. And I, I tell you, there's biblical precedents with David. There's, I've seen tons of examples where God has allowed things to be revealed. You don't want to wait until it happens. You want to first go to God, confess it to Him. You want to secondly find those safe people who can come around you and then help you so that as this thing rolls out, it's able to roll out with God's help, with God's blessing, with the support of others. Does that make sense? And here's the invitation for those of you again that are fearful, but, but how could God forgive this? How could, he, how could he look at me at all with this darkness? Look at these verses. And these are tip of the iceberg. Tip of the iceberg. Find this all over the scriptures. Jesus said, there is more joy among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That is a joyful thing to God. He already knows. You're not going to shock him. You know, he knows. There's joy. Was finally, you know, finally. And then so here are the good news. The, the, the saying is sure and worthy and full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save who? The righteous? No, because there are no righteous. He 
He came to save the sinners. That's why he came. So when you say, oh, I can't, you can't look at this, it's too dark. I already know that's why I came. It is the blood of Jesus that cleanses, all right? Who is in a position? Romans 8.34. Who is in a position to condemn? This is beautiful stuff. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power over us. Christ prays for us. Don't you want to get Christ interceding on your behalf? He would love to do that. So come clean. Ask for his help. And then this one. Oh, beautiful stuff. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. A new life has begun. It might take time. It might take years before everything's restored. But at least in God's eyes, it is. You can have a strong place to step forward from. Oh, this is good stuff. So as we close today, I want to invite Joel to come on up. We got an invitation for you. Um, you know, the, the, the best case scenario, best case scenario is you've got these people in your life. You've got these brothers and sisters walking alongside. It's a matter of as, as, as maybe tapping into that a little bit more, being a little more intentional about that. But if you're right now feeling, I've got this burden and I don't know what to do with it, and you want more than just going to God alone, you want to talk a little bit about that? I just want to echo what you had said, Chris, earlier about... Um, connecting and, and confessing and, yeah. and talking with, with a close friend or someone you trust. Because I, I think, and I've, I've experienced it just with uh, this week with friends, where you start talking and, and you, re, you think, and I think this is something the enemy uses to blind us. It's a huge item that blinds us and, and paralyzes us when we think we're the only one. We're the only one. And being able to, to share and to talk and realize that, no, you're not the only one. That's right. It goes a long way. And not that you're, you're getting freedom because you're in this together it, even though you are but the reality that that you're not the only one and so i i say that as you know there, i'm sure uh there are many of us that have close friends and confidants that we can talk about things but but there's many of us that don't too and i just want to do a, uh, an invitation out there that there are caring people at ecc that would love to connect with you if you need a friend to talk to or just someone to Say, hey, can I just have a cup of coffee and share this? Um, and so I would love to be the conduit for that. Uh, you can fill out a connection card. You can find me after church. You can send me an email. Uh, however, I, I want to encourage you to take advantage of that. And I, I think that first step is always kind of funny. and It feels a little weird. But get past that. You know, these are people that, that do care and do want to hear. So... So let's pray. You want to pray yeah, and then I'll I'd close this with a blessing. You bet. Can you stand with me and we'll, we'll pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for everyone that was here. Lord, you brought us here for a purpose to hear a message today. And a message, Lord, of such good news. Lord, if we stopped halfway through this message, we would be downcast. Mm -hmm. And we would walk away beaten up, thinking, how can we move forward? But thank you for your blood, Lord. Thank you that um, through confession... Uh, Lord, you have given us a doorway into freedom. Lord, just the words from, from Psalms, the joy. Father, that's what we all would love to have in our lives. And Lord, you've said this is how we can have joy. So Father, I pray that you would bring people into our lives, people that we can trust and we can talk to. And Lord, may we be that person. Father, if we're being called uh, into that place to meet with a friend and talk and have a cup of coffee and share. Father, may we never forget, though, that um, it's not these events, Lord, that give us the freedom. 
it's your blood, and we thank you, Lord, for that. Yeah. Lord, we, we thank you for your revelations through your word. The revelations that there is an adversary out there, the father of lies. And Lord, I pray that you would protect us from him. The lies that would say, well, I, I, I can just wait, I'll, I'll do this later, or I need this to be in the right spot, or I need this to be fall into place first. Lord, I, I pray that you protect us from those lies that would keep us from taking this step. Lord, give us the courage, the faith to come before you and to confess. Um, and Lord, we pray that you'll continue to, to help us develop relationships where we are safe people who are in relationship with other safe people. That this, could be, that this could be a body, Father, where we don't have to project any image whatsoever. But rather, Lord, this could be a place where we are, are all, um, in healthy ways, we are, we are all readily confessing that, that we've got our stuff and that through your grace we are being set free and we're being made whole and our relationships are getting restored and, and all these things. So, Father, the blessing that we ask for as we go forth is that your kindness would lead us to repentance. May, may these words of incredible invitation not be rejected, but rather may we receive this. Those who are walking with you, may this be a continual part of our walk where we regularly come to you and we, we pause and let your light shine into all areas of our life and we let you illuminate things that, that you desire to help us with and help us through. And for Lord, those who have, who have been, um, I see a person shielding, oh, okay, I have a, picture a person there's a bright sunbeam coming down at them and they're they're trying to shield it with their hands but the light's just shooting through the through their fingers lord i pray that that they will let go of trying to shield themselves from this light but rather now i see a person just standing and soaking in the sunshine god do that let that person those people soak in your sunshine let them feel warmth where they thought they would experience a cold uncaring father lord let them experience warmth right now let them experience your acceptance. Let them experience your joy, your hope, your good plans for them. Lord, Lord, let them feel that. Not just know it in their heads. Let them feel it. And then, Lord, may they step forward with you and, and may you bring people around them so that we could be blessed by living lives of freedom from things that aren't to be kept to ourselves. Now, that was a long blessing, but God, you heard it all, so do it in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.